Welcome back to the Geeks at the Gates, and we are here again with the second part of the audiobook Shift. So, a little bit of a quick recap, and then we will get straight into it. Previously on Shift. Ellie liked to think of herself as an open-minded, non-judgmental kind of girl. She gave Vicky a little finger wave and headed for the gate. The man in the bowler hat watched as the young woman exited the pub's garden and headed off down the road. The young woman disappeared into the brightly lit takeaway. He sat down on a shadowy bollard and settled down to wait. Hi, Mrs Chatterjee. Actually, I was wondering if I could use the kitchen stairs up to my flat. There's somebody following me. I don't know him. He could see through the glass shop front that the young woman wasn't in there anymore and he cursed his complacency. You leave now, or I call my son. I need to speak to the woman who just came in. But the scream of terror from upstairs froze everyone. The man in the bowler hat vaulted over the countertop and ran in search of stairs. He knew, even before he'd reached the still-closed door of the upstairs flat, that when he kicked it in, he'd find it empty. By the time Samara and his mother reached the splintered remains of what had once been the door of Ellie's flat, the man in the bowler hat was gone too. Ellie opened her eyes, the tiny room an empty and utterly featureless cube. The man in the bowler hat slumped into the driver's seat of the black VW cam. I'm not letting those pinstripe bastards have her. But she's in the office. Nobody gets out of there. The cadaverous man spoke. You will wait and we will arrange suitable facilities. Stepping out of the shower, Ellie searched for a towel and wrapped it around herself. She heard a faint whisper of air behind her. The hand was over her mouth before she had any chance to scream. Shift. Chapter 3. Goggle-Eyed. Ellie struggled, but the hand over her mouth and the arm pinning her arms to her waist gripped like a vice, preventing any possibility of movement. Desperately, she tried to kick her attacker, but he lifted it into the air, leaving her legs flailing uselessly. Keep still, damn it! A voice hissed in her ear. Look, I know this is frightening, and you have no reason to trust me, and I know how this must seem, but I'm trying to be a gentleman here. I've got my eyes shut and everything. Ellie stopped kicking, but did not relax. Her assailant relaxed his grip ever so slightly, and she tried to work out whether she could break free and find some kind of a weapon. She was in a bathroom, there must be some kind of pipe or something she could break. The voice hissed in her ear again. Look, I'm going to let go of you and back away as far as I can. I'm not here to hurt you. All I ask is that you hear me out before you do anything. If you scream, your captors will hear you and then we are both in a mess. I'm here to help, honestly. Nod if that's okay. Ellie nodded and felt her assailant's grip slacken. The arms released her and whoever had been holding her stepped back. She moved swiftly to the other side of the bathroom and flattened herself against the wall, clutching the towel around her and twisting around to see her assailant. He was a shortish man, dressed entirely in black. Black army boots, black jeans, collarless shirt, black, black waistcoat, World War II style flying goggles and black bowler hat, battered black leather satchel over one shoulder. The only break in the monochrome was the silver of his watch chain and goggles, and the insanely pale whiteness of his skin and close-cropped hair. She scowled. You! He raised a hand and turned his back. Me. Yes, I was following you, love, and I'm sorry I scared you, but I really do have your best interests at heart. I've got my back to you. Would I do that to protect your modesty if I was the bad guy? Keeping his face to the wall, the man in the bowler hat spread his arms out wide. All I ask is that you listen to me. But listen well, because right now, 
I'm the only person who can get you out of this. Ellie drew the towel even more tightly around her and scowled. She briefly considered knocking him out while his back was turned, but something about the way he carried himself made her think he was probably tougher than he looked. Also, the idea of wrestling a strange man to the ground while wearing nothing but a towel didn't seem like a plan with much scope for success. Besides, she had so many questions, she didn't even know where to start. Where are we? It's called the office. It's the own base of the auditors, exactly where that is, and who they are, is an explanation for when we have more time. What the hell are you doing sneaking up on me in the bloody shower? When the man in the bowler hat answered, there was just a hint of amusement in his voice. The auditors are bastards, but they're not peeping toms. This is the one place in the old office where you won't be watching you. That allowed me to phase in on the scene. I couldn't believe my luck when they let you go out the carsey, I really couldn't. They'll have sensed me by now, but it'll be a little while before they'll think they'll look here. Ellie thought for a moment. So, suppose I trust you. I certainly don't have much interest in staying here. So, how do you get out? Won't lie to you. It's not going to be easy. This place is famous for being impossible to break out of. But, if you stick close to me, we should have a decent chance. First thing you do is put some bloody clothes on, though. Masterminding impossible escapes is one thing. But having to do it with my eyes shut will be showing off. Don't worry, I'll keep my back turned while you get dressed and I'll explain what happens next. Ellie fished her clothes off the floor and began to struggle back into them. The man in the bowler hat went on. A lot of what we're about to do won't make a lot of sense. You'll understand when we know more, but for now, it's all going to seem a little bit weird. Ellie snorted. Weirder than getting kidnapped by two dudes in pinstripe suits and then attacked in the shower by a man in a bowler hat? With flying goggles? Really? The man in the bowler hat smiled to himself. He didn't usually have much time for the monkeys, but he liked this one's attitude. I didn't attack you in the shower. I waited till you got out, and were covered up. And it was for your own good. I don't knock the goggles, they're bloody useful. He paused. Are you decent yet, by the way? Feels odd talking on the wall. Ellie finished pulling a t-shirt over her head. Sure, you can turn round now. The man in the bowler hat turned to face her and flashed a disarming grin. Right, this is the bad news. We are deep in the art of the office, which is very definitely hostile territory. We are locked in a bathroom, and the door will be being watched, so we can't go out that way. Once we're out of this room, the auditors will know exactly where we are, and all they need to do is get in line of sight to freeze us solid. Well, freeze you solid, I'll be alright, but I ain't living with that yet, so same thing. Any thought of the way she'd been able to move back in her cell and shuddered. Is that good news? Not really. He thrust his hands into his pockets and paused thoughtfully for a moment. Well, I suppose I'm probably the one person in all creation and get you out of here. He fished in his satchel and pulled out another pair of flying goggles, which he held out to Ellie. Put these on. Ellie took them and held them up, wrinkling in her nose and frowning. What the hell for? I look ridiculous. The man in the bowler hat sighed and rubbed at his temples. For a second, he looked very old and very tired. Look, Ellie, we're short of time. If you don't wear the goggles, you'll probably go blind. Besides, like I said, they're useful in any case. Just do it. Ellie stuck her tongue out at him and pulled the bulky goggles down over her eyes. She instantly lifted them back up. What the? The man in the bowler hat flashed another grin. Good, aren't they? I'll explain them later. But in the meantime, put the buggers on and let's get out of here. There's a limit to how long a shower and a piss can reasonably take. As if on cue, there was a loud knock at the door. The man in the bowler hat held out his hand. Time's up. Come in. Ellie gritted her teeth, pulled the goggles back over her eyes, grabbed his hand, and the world went purple. The cadaverous man stood outside the door of the bathroom. He'd been against letting the female attend to biological functions. She had been beyond their observation for too long, and he was suspicious. He banged on the door again, when, without any warning, 
His vision filled with purple, and he was thrown back down the white-walled corridor. Instantly, he was on his feet and sprinting towards the bathroom door. The door remained firmly locked from the inside, but he ran through it as though it was not there. Finding the marble bathroom empty, the cadaverous man screamed with a yell of rage that echoed across the universe. Then he turned and stalked back the way he came. Ellie hit the ground hard enough for all the wind to be knocked out of her. She lay still for a second and mentally checked to make sure that she was still in one piece. Everything seemed fine, although she had one hell of a headache again. The world smelled of cut grass and rain, and she could feel the regenerating warmth of a summer sun on her face. She was beginning to sit up when two strong arms dragged her to her feet. Run! Even before she'd fully opened her eyes, the man in the bowler hat was dragging her along, firmly gripping her by the elbow. They were running down a grassy slope, zigzagging their way along at breakneck speed. Through the goggles, the world looked, well, different. As though somebody had drawn paths and doors in the landscape with a neon green pen. They seemed to be running towards one of those neon doors. The air was a ragged knife in Ellie's lungs. Hold on, she gasped. Need to breathe. The man in the bowler hat didn't slow down. No time. His voice betrayed no sign that he was breathing hard at all. Breathe later. Had she not been utterly convinced in that moment that her life depended on this bowler hat of loony, Ellie would have punched him. But there was something in his tone, something about his presence, that convinced her that he was genuine, and if he said run, then running was the best thing she needed to do. Even so, the first explosion surprised her. The man known as Bunko sat on the edge of his leather-upholstered mahogany chair and watched the screen on his console intently. As he watched, two figures were running down a grassy hill away from a large, white, cube-shaped building. So far, so good, he muttered under his breath. He winced as the first explosion detonated behind them. His hands danced across the console, flicking switches and twisting knobs. Come on, Triss, you can do it! Don't go straight! Keep zigzagging! I can deal with the mines, but you've got to keep moving and out of line. The voice from the glowing orb by Bunko's head didn't sound out of breath, but it did carry the mildest hint of irritation. Teach your bloody grandmother, mate. Look, just keep them off us. We don't need long. Bunko grinned. Well, that's good, because I can't give you long. Now, shut up and keep moving. On the screen, the two figures were approaching what appeared to be a large door drawn in green neon. Bunko twisted knobs and pushed buttons frantically, but the plumes of exploding dirt were getting closer to them. The figures reached the neon green door just as the line of explosions caught up with them. They disappeared in a cloud of purple and exploding dirt. Bunko yelled into the glowing orb. Triss! You there? Triss! On the screen, the dust began to settle to reveal the blasted remains of the once green hillside. The orb remained silent. The cadaverous man stared at his screen. The flash of purple had been blinding and he couldn't tell whether the first explosion had caught the infidel or not. He could no longer sense the heretic, but that would be the case whether he was dead or had escaped. Either way, he'd lost the girl. His whispering raspy voice was resonant with fury. Send an assessment squad! I want to know where they are, and I want to know now!
Every molecule of Ellie's body felt like it was on fire. She closed her eyes so tightly it hurt, but still the violent purple light was blinding. If she'd been able to, she would have screamed, but she simply didn't have the air in her lungs. The pain was indescribable. Rivulets of fire coursed along her spine. Her head felt as though it was aflame and her lungs felt as though her chest was in a vice. Then, suddenly, it stopped and there was only blackness. Shift. Chapter 4. Tea and Chet. George Mannering had been a clerk for a long time. He'd seen many younger, less experienced men progress to full auditor status ahead of him, and the injustice of it was a constant glowing ball of rage in the pit of his stomach. Oh, he knew why, of course. His section had harboured a traitor, after he'd been caught subverting the work of the office, and then gone on to escape confinement to join up with the Black Guard. Well, the career progression of everyone unlucky enough to be tainted by any connection to such a degenerate was always going to be seriously curtailed. He crouched down next to the ragged crater which disfigured what had, until half an hour ago, been pristine lawn. The smell of damp earth assaulted Mannering's nose. He ignored it and placed a delicate pair of gold-rimmed pince-nez into his long, aquiline nose. Instantly, he perceived the landscape around him to change. Glowing neon doors and pathways appeared before his eyes. One such door suspended in mid-air above the crater. He knew that the traitor and the girl had either gone through that door, or been vaporised in the explosion. He really hoped he'd find some remains. Being the clerk who was able to present definitive proof that the traitor was dead would make him a hero better would make him an auditor. He pulled what looked like a silver pocket watch out of the pocket of his pin-striped waistcoat, flipped open the case and held it up. He looked disapprovingly at the dial for a long moment, then cursed under his breath, snapped the watch shut and returned it to his pocket. He tapped a small device attached to his left ear and spoke. No trace of biological remains, my lord. We must assume that the traitor and the girl have escaped. He waited and after a second he heard a familiar, raspy voice in his ear. Can you follow? Mannering looked up at the glowing neon door. Before the landmine had exploded, it had been at ground level. Now it hovered a few feet above the floor of the crater. He tapped his pince-nez and watched the stream of data scroll across his vision. The portal is active, my lord. The traitor has tried to seal it behind him, but it looks as though the explosion negated his efforts. The raspy voice crackled in his air. Then go and get him, Clark Mannering. Succeed, and you will be rewarded. Mannering reached out and grabbed the brown leather Gladstone bag at his side and tapped his ear again. Acknowledged, my lord. I'll bring him back in chains, or I'll bring back his corpse. With that, he took a step back, leapt high into the air, somersaulting through the neon green door. There was a flash of purple, and he vanished. Ellie didn't open her eyes. Instead, she just lay perfectly still and tried to work out what was happening. She could tell that she was lying down on a thin mattress, but one that was much more comfortable than the one from the bench in the cell she'd woken up in earlier. Her head was pounding again, and the inside of her mouth felt as though it had been coated with stale sandpaper. She gave some serious thought to trying to sleep through the pain, but a weedy whistling sound pierced her eardrums as it grew in intensity. Groggily, she sat up and turned in the direction of the infernal wailing screech. 
Ah, back with us then. It was the man in the bowler hat. He was lifting an old-fashioned whistling kettle off the top of a gas stove. Annie sat up properly and squinted painfully at her surroundings. Is this... Is this a camper van? The man in the bowler hat poured boiling water from the kettle into a teapot. It's a 1967 Mark One VW camper. There was a note of pride in his voice. Extensively restored and refurbished, of course, but it's home. Ellie rubbed a hand through her matted mop of shoulder-length blondish locks. The side door of the van was open, and she could make out the shadowy shapes of trees outside. It appeared to be night-time. How long has she been out? You live in this? The man in the bowler hat gave the teapot a reverent swish. Most of the time. Makes for a versatile base of operations, and it helps to keep on the move. He placed the teapot on the little foldable table next to the seat-stroke bed that Ellie was sitting on, then reached into an overhead locker to retrieve two paper-thin white porcelain teacups and saucers. Earl Grey? Ellie wrinkled her nose. I don't think so. Any coffee? The man in the bowler hat shook his head. Ah, oh, now don't be such a heathen. Besides... Coffee would be a seriously bad idea, trust me. A nice cup of Earl Grey is exactly what you need. He poured a stream of steaming pale gold liquid into each cup. Then he grabbed a half-empty bottle of milk from the tiny fridge that was next to the camper van's sink and poured a splash into the cup nearest him. It'll make you feel better. He reached over, grabbed a jar of sugar and tipped two huge spoonfuls into the tea, giving it a vigorous stir. You won't really drink as it is, but if you insist on being a heathen, you can have milk and sugar. He took a big swig and plunked the cup back onto the saucer. Seriously, there's something in the bergamot oil that helps with the face displacement symptoms? He fixed her eyes. I need you on top form. Get it down, you. Ellie sighed and dumped two heaped spoons of sugar and a generous glug of milk into her cup. She stirred the brew absent-mindedly, then slammed a fist into the table with enough force to splash milky or grey onto the formica. The man in the bowler hat showed no sign of surprise and met her furious gaze with an infuriatingly patient smile. I imagine you have some questions. Too bloody right I've got some questions. Ellie didn't know how long it had been since her kidnapping, but she was certain she'd absolutely run out of calm. Who are you? Where the hell are we? Who was trying to blow us up? What the hell is going on? I mean... Rah! The last exclamation was accompanied by a frustrated flapping of hands, and then Ellie flopped against the cushion of the backrest and hung her head. The man in the bowler hat smiled sadly. Look, I, I know it's frustrating, and I'm sorry that I got you involved, but I suppose it was inevitable, really. He sighed. Uh, I've already told you you're not going to believe a lot of this. All I can say is everything I'm going to tell you is the absolute truth as I understand it. He took another swig of tea. My name is Viscount Tristian Ignatius Augustine of the Assery Room. I am a soldier of the Black Guard, dedicating to resisting the tyranny of the auditors and the maintenance of free will. He paused, a self-deprecating grin creasing his face for the merest of moments. But my friends, just call me Triss. Ellie looked up, eyes steely. So, Viscount, what does that actually mean? And what has it got to do with me? The man in the bowler hat grinned again. <laughs> oh, well, I see I'm really going to like you. He poured some more tea from the pot into his cup and continued. Right, we live in an infinite universe, yes? He paused, 
looking expectantly at Ellie. She nodded. The man in the bowler hat continued. If the universe is infinite, then everything that can happen at any moment must happen somewhere. And it does. Most of the time. He paused again, twiddling with his teacup. Everything that can happen does happen. And it happens everywhere at the same time. Right now, there are an infinite number of me having an infinite number of, of this conversation with an infinite number of you. Or at least, that would be the case if this was normal, but it's not, but we'll come to that. Some of them are going to be so similar as to be functionally indistinguishable. They might differ by the length of a breath or a slight difference in intonation. Some will be so different they'll be unrecognisable. He paused once more and looked at Ellie to see her reaction. She took a sip of her tea and replied, So, parallel universes? Yeah, exactly. Well, no, not really. Well, not at all, actually. There's only one universe, Ellie. That's what the uni means? He reached forwards and placed his now empty teacup on the saucer. Infinite variations of everything that can happen are happening everywhere in the universe. Essentially, everything is happening in the same time at the same place. The space a person occupies is also being inhabited by an infinite number of other versions of themselves. Mostly, they cannot perceive their alternate selves, but nevertheless, they are there. Ellie was going to ask another question when her attention was diverted by the unmistakable click of a cocking pistol. Clark George Mannering had approached the black camper van cautiously. Surely the traitor wasn't so arrogant as to imagine he couldn't have been pursued. He took a position behind a largest tree and watched. The interior of the VW camper, a ridiculous affectation in his opinion, was illuminated and the sliding side door was wide open. Silently, he reached into the Gladstone bag and pulled out the dull grey lump of a large revolver. Leaving the bag at the base of the tree, he moved with astonishing silence and grace towards the open-sided van. Inside, he could see the traitor and the girl sipping tea, evidently engaged in conversation. If he had not been relying on stealth, he would have tuttered. The traitor was making this so easy, George was almost offended. The traitor was degenerate scum, but he had auditor training. He'd been a bailiff. He knew what the protocol for this kind of incident was. Knowing that, how could he sit here in this forest with no defences? The arrogant presumption was infuriating. Aiming the pistol squarely at the traitor's head, George stepped into the open door of the van and cocked the pistol. Viscount Christian Ignatius Augustine of the House of Rerum looked up. Hello, George! His voice was mild and cheerful and betrayed no hint of panic, in spite of the lethal-looking weapon aimed between his eyes. George Mannering scowled. Tristian! His voice was heavy with malice. Christian flashed a dazzling grin. You're still cross, aren't you? The pistol lowered just a fraction. Mannering's tone wavered between incredulity and fury. Cross! Cross! His left hand raised the gun back to Tristian's forehead, and his free right hand pointed an accusation. You betrayed all of us! You were our leader, and you betrayed everything we stood for! Left us all! Have you any idea 
what that did to the team? What happened to us? His voice was quavering now, emotion welling up inside him. His finger tightened on the trigger. Christian's smile didn't wa waver, but he raised his hands in surrender. Really wasn't like that. What I did, I did because there was no alternative. I know you don't want to hear this, George, but what I did was the right thing. I know there were consequences for you and the team, but honestly, if I'd acted otherwise, it would have been much, much worse. I'm glad you're here now, though, because there are a couple of things I need to say. George Mannering adjusted the grip on his pistol. What? Honestly, I'm sorry. We were brothers in arms. We fought together. Because of me, the team was broken up and you're still clerks. I know what I did to you. I didn't want to, but I had to. I'm sorry, George. I really am. And I've wanted to say that to you for a long time. But you, mate, are on the wrong side. Mannering's arm stiffened, but his aim remained solid. Too little, too late, traitor. You're going to die here. And the girl is coming back to the office, where she belongs. Tristan's eyes locked into Mannering's. I can't tell you how sorry I am you feel this way, George. Mannering pushed the pistol closer to Tristan's forehead. Any last words? Ellie shifted in her seat, trying to see if she could launch for the pistol. Tristan flashed her the briefest of holding glances. As it happens, he drawled. Yes. His raised hands flashed a wave. See ya! There was a blinding purple flash, and George Mannering found himself confused and alone in the middle of the forest. And we're going to leave it there for this week. I was going to chuck another chapter in, but as you might be able to hear, uh, since recording the first two chapters of this week's... <coughs> Excuse me. I have developed a bit of a throat and chest infection, which means the quality of the recording would not be great. Uh, so we're going to leave it there. Um, what's going to happen? Is George going to catch up with them? Who are the auditors? Who is the cadaverous man? Why does Ellie matter so much? Well, if you want to know, come back next time for the next fascinating, sensolating, enthralling, gripping and stupendous episode of Shift right here on the Geeks at the Gates. Thank you for listening to the Geeks at the Gates. This issue was brought to you by Destination Venus in Harrogate's Everyman Cinema. Shift and all characters contained therein is a copyright production of Venus Rising Media. All rights are reserved. Feel free to share, but do not even think about copying it, selling it, or saying it was yours. The Geeks at the Gates is a production of Venus Rising Media and is proudly made in Yorkshire.